There is so much that I'm learning with unintended consequences, both good and bad. And, you know, having that presence during the treatment, but then when we reconvene at a later date, learning all the changes that happened and many of which, you know, often I did not foresee. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. We are not equal. The gifts of heaven are unevenly distributed on earth. Some creatures have wings, others have fins. Some run like the wind, others with a slow crawl. Look at people. Some of us are tall, others not. Some have a bright intellect. There are others who are dull. Some have an eye for drawing, and they see the light of the world differently than those who have a built-in kinesthetic brilliance that allows them to excel with their physicality. Some of us are drawn to books and reading, while others prefer the world of music. There are people who want children and others who are plenty happy not to have them. Some have an inclination to create and build, while others are content to draft on the efforts of others. The idea that we are all the same is patently ridiculous. Look around. You'll see more differences than similarities. And it's a good thing, too, because the most vibrant and stable ecosystems are those that are the most diverse. And diversity means recognizing, and what's more, valuing differences. And therein lies the rub, because the person who values medicine, healing, and connection might be very different from the person who values building and creating something that's never been seen before. The people that value the sharp edge honed by competition behave differently than those who appreciate the fruits of cooperation. Neither are inherently good or bad in the same way that you cannot place a higher value on the inhale or the exhale. Both are required. Increasingly, I think equality is a lovely idea that the world time and again tells me is a human mental construct that has very, very little to do with reality. I'm reminded of the Kurt Vonnegut story that I read in high school where the ballerina was forced to wear weights so she couldn't jump as high as the average person. And those with keen sight were forced to wear glasses to blur their vision. There is a danger when we conflate sameness with equality. Perhaps the Declaration of Independence should have said that we are all wildly different and with annoyingly complementary talents, ability, and personality. It's an imperfect union at best. Nonetheless, we have to get along. What happens when you see similarity where others only see difference? Where do you draw your lines of who's in and who's out? And most importantly, how do you manage at those boundaries and borders where your values and another's are in opposition? What diversity is worth cultivating and what differences are a danger? We are not equal. The people that choose to come to your clinic choose you because you are somehow different than the other practitioners that they also considered. You, too, make your spending decisions based on some merit of the person, business, or organization that you're dealing with. Human society is not a Monsanto monocrop. 
Our differences are our strength. And when you think about it, the most beautiful sounds are the result of the harmonies of different notes. It's a bit of a cliche to say that opposites attract or that the strongest teams or work groups are composed of people with complementary skills or capacities. It's cliche because it's true. Troublesome at times that we have to learn to negotiate our differences. But in the end, it is helpful to have others who can point out blind spots or are strong where we might be weak. We see this dynamic in the relationship between organ systems, how they work together by balancing each other, how there are processes of generation and others of control. Complementary is such a nice sounding word, but in the world of medicine or relationships, it means that there's going to be some trouble afoot because we're dealing with opposites. And while opposites can attract, they also fight. They quarrel. They look to undermine or to control the other. It's easy to conflate the idea of harmony with peace, but harmony is more the dynamic and functional balance of opposites. Think about the Ku cycle from the five phases, and you might imagine a poetic symphony of harmony, but control is rarely pleasant to that which is being controlled. And yet, control and limits are an essential part of homeostasis. Sa'am organ pairings give us a glimpse into how the heavenly aspects of the five phases in the earthly dynamics of the six chi bring complementary, or you could say, conflicting traits into play. And this, in turn, allows for that dynamic balance that we call health and life. In today's conversation with Sharon Sherman, Jerry Steele, and Charles Bishop, we explore the experience of three practitioners who have been unfolding this AM method in their practice for roughly the past three years. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of the solution, it's simple too. 
visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so. Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app/switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. It takes some courage and a leap of faith to learn a new method and apply it in clinic long enough to see if it's reliable. Let's see what they have to say about this on perspective on acupuncture. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Geological. I've got a couple of different guests with me today. I've got Sharon Sherman, Jerry Steele. And uh, Charles Bishop, these are all practitioners who have been doing Sa'am acupuncture for a while now. How do I know they've been doing it for a while now? Well, because we had a level three class a couple of months ago and they were all there. And I was thinking to myself, wow, this is amazing. These people have been along for the entire ride. I'm curious to know more about their experience. So thought we'd get together, have ourselves a little conversation about Sa'am, what it's done to your practice, what it's done to your mind, what it's done to how you work. And let's just have ourselves introduce each other. Sharon, would you start? Hello. Uh, My name is Sharon Sherman. I am in the Philadelphia area. I've been practicing over 20 years now. And I was originally introduced to Sa'am, I guess, a few years ago, through um, Sharon Weizenbaum's uh, graduate mentorship class in herbs. She had recently been turned on to the system and was really enthusiastic. And we started, you know, picking at it a little bit through her class. And then I kind of jumped over to Geological 
because you seem to be the main host of this stuff. Isn't it interesting that you heard about Sa'am through A Course on Herbs? Uh, that's, that's something we can circle back to. Toby's always getting on my case about bringing herbs into it. And uh, I'll be curious to hear about all your uh, thoughts and experience with how Sa'am and herbal medicine go together. So welcome. Great. Uh, Jerry, what about you? Yeah, hi. Hi, Michael. Yeah. Um, so I have to say pretty much the same as Sharon, although I've been practicing um, a lot shorter period of time, seven years. Um, yeah, I, I first heard of some through Sharon's GMP program. And then Lauren Brown had something once, I believe. Mm -hmm. And since I think it's been you, your geological that's really brought a lot of um, psalm to us. Yeah, and I just, I just, it really resonates. I, I love it. Resonates. There is something about resonance in this method, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Charles, what about you? How did you find your way here? Hello, I'm Charles Bishop. I'm up in Grand Marais, Minnesota. And it's so funny, I have the exact same experience flipped from Sharon and Jerry. Like Jerry, I've been practicing seven years. And I first heard about Sa'am through Geological. And I was kind of looking for a different style of acupuncture or something to refine my style, uh, figure out something new. And so I heard the first Geological episode with Sa'am and I put it on that back burner and said, oh, this is interesting, but you know, I'll see what else is around. And then when you had Sharon Weisenbaum on, who I had studied just a couple distance courses with, and she was really into it, I said, if it's good enough for Sharon, then I definitely should try it out. And so here you are. And so here I am. Yes, you drank the Kool-Aid. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I, I, I find it interesting. I, I, I've also been practicing 20 plus years. I It's hard to remember at this point. And... In that time, I, I've studied a lot of different things, all kinds of different methods, herbs, of course. Uh, but when I think about the acupuncture methods that I've studied, I've studied more than a few, and, and I'll kind of toy with them or work with them a bit, and then they often just fall away, and I don't know, I end up with kind of a conglomerate of things that I do. Somehow, this Sa'am has been different. And so I'm curious to know from each of you, and, and Charles, let's start with you, because it sounds like you have also worked with some other methods. What is it about Sa'am that keeps you interested? Well, definitely the, the power of the system, for sure. As soon as I started working with it and getting you know a little experience under my belt with Sa'am, I really saw pretty amazing effects. You know, Not always the exact ones I intended, but something was shifting almost every time you know, usually good, not always, because sometimes, you know, user error. But what I really enjoyed about Sa'am is it tied together a lot of principles, you know, a lot of six Jing or six levels and five elements and all these things together in a way that I could apply them and not just think about them theoretically or keep them in slightly separate boxes. So that to me was extremely helpful in kind of deepening my practice. Mm -hmm. The five phases in the six Jing, not in separate boxes. Yeah, that. I, I'm curious to know how that changes things for you. How does that change things for me? That's a good question. Um, it doesn't necessarily change. Well, I mean, obviously it changes how I practice because I'm practicing a different system of acupuncture. 
it doesn't necessarily change things on a day-to-day level with the exception that I feel like I'm practicing a more whole medicine and not having my mind jump between different levels and maybe perhaps different applications of those levels, but trying to kind of weave it all together in a way that makes it feel more whole and contiguous and and alive to me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Jerry, what about you? Yeah, well, again, the power of the system definitely um, gives you noticeable results. And like Charles said, sometimes in the direction that you want and sometimes in a direction you don't, but it's always teaching because it lets you know, you know, with the, the balance of those interrelated channels. But it changed a lot in terms of how I practice, and I'm still kind of struggling with it. It's a quicker method, less needles. Sometimes patients don't feel like, you know, you're giving them enough, especially if you don't get that result. So, you know, it's, it's a teaching, trying to ex- explain to them to get them to understand how it's going to work over either a short or longer period of time. I don't know if anybody else has had that experience, but that's something I'm working, still working on, you know, with patients. Uh, when you get a really good result, it's really nice. It's nice for the patient. It's nice for your confidence as a practitioner. Um, when it's when I did have an experience with a patient where it went terribly wrong, although I didn't know that that day, but that was an amazing lesson too. So it's it's almost like it's like you can't you can't go terribly wrong as long as you you're careful. The patient that I had a, a really <laughs> Um, unusual experience with was with gall, gallbladder. Mm, uh, that's a powerful channel. It is, and I'd not used it until very recently. And as you say, you know, we all took recently the, you know, that third level course. So it took me a long time to even try to approach gallbladder, but I was sure this patient needed it. And on the table, you would think it was going well. She felt great. She was energized. She was, she said to me while she was, you know, while I was taking the needles out, she said to me, you know, this was really great. You know, I feel so great, but it was the, and I thought, oh, this is great, you know, but um, when I saw her the next time, she said to me, I don't know, but I think something went wrong with that. And she has, she has anxiety and she has PTSD and she had started to experience some uncomfortable symptoms. So I right away, I had to put PC in and I had to do it twice in a row for her, her next two treatments. What it said to me was that the, the reaction she had on the table, it was almost too much. And it taught a really good lesson to me. The other thing was, I think I let myself kind of get in the way of deciding this is definitely going to be good for her. It was almost, when I think back about it, it was almost like I wanted so much to empower her in a direction and really felt she needed to be. That was totally my projection there onto her. So yeah, that's something you have to be really careful with. with um, But it taught me a really good lesson, really taught me a very good lesson. So a PC, that's the other nice thing about Sa'am is you can undo your mistakes. Yes, you can go do the opposite. Yeah, yeah, which was great. Yeah, it's it's helpful to have that safety valve in a way that if you do something and it's targeted, it's focused, 
and it and it goes wrong, well, now you know what to do to fix it. Exactly. So that that's really helpful. I'm curious. Uh, your patient said, "Hey, it was great." Do you know what she meant by great? She felt that now this is a person who's very uh, Toby's description of someone who's very PC. She's she's a pericardium excess. Yeah, yeah. She's very in control and studies everything and has very elaborate explanations for things. And and on and, and with GB, I think she kind of did feel this sense of like liberation, but it was too much for her. It really mm. was too much for her at that moment in time, maybe in the future. I, I still think at some point in time she might benefit from gallbladder, but that was not the right timing. And I was kind of pushing it, I think. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I've noticed myself with certain patients, especially those who have a very firm sense of who they are and who they're supposed to be. And sometimes I'll think, well, you need a little bit of the opposite of what you think you're supposed to be. And sometimes that really works out well. And sometimes they just reject that out of hand. So your your thoughts about at another point and maybe titrating it up in some ways uh, makes a lot of sense. It, get, it gets so complicated. To your point, you know, I, I see this often in forums is the idea, quote unquote, you need um, and just what you know, how much are we bringing our own biases to that? Oh, my God. Well, that is material for a whole other podcast <laughs> entirely. Because yeah. sometimes our, what we consider our intuition or clinical chops in that moment, you know, we might be bringing a lot of our bias to the story that's been told to us. And the idea that what we're being told in the treatment room is, you know, it's one side or a small sliver into the whole thing. And I think sometimes we jump to solve the problem as opposed to letting it unfold into, so we can see the richness of the whole terrain a little bit better. Oh, wow. That actually, this is Jerry, that actually captures it really well. And that's exactly in f looking back what happened. I really wanted her to feel empowered, you know, in, in what, what was happening in her life at that time. And you're absolutely right. This is a real practice um, and getting to that point where you can not bring yourself into it. It's difficult, I think one of the strengths of this system, you know, to Michael's earlier question, what about this system? You know, I think what, for me, what makes it compelling is the engagement. Because I don't know other people's schooling and experience, but a lot of the way that we're taught in this country is just filters or systems, which are basically stories on how we relate to the medicine. And certain systems just relate to people better. But what makes this very unique to me is the amount of presence that is demanded in the system. You can't get away from that. You can't just go through wrote the 10 questions. It demands a high level of observation. It demands that you see changes on the table. So just having to be that kind of nano-engaged is really different from most systems of acupuncture, in, 
you know, in my assessment. Yeah. And just to add to that, especially I feel still very novice, it takes really getting to know the person that you're treating, you know, really getting to know them, which I don't think anything that I've learned so far has um, kind of pushed me to actually to do that as much as Sa'am. And now that I realize that, and I think that was that mistake really was an eye opener for me in that direction. It was kind of funny because it was timed uh, before Toby did the, um, the, the one on meditation or having some kind of a practice where you can really, you know, get yourself out of the way. Uh, it was, the, it was, the timing was so perfect, but it really gives you that opportunity to, to work that, that deeply with somebody. I don't think anything I've studied so far has, has done that. So the system for you is a real invitation into a kind of practice of presence. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, in a, in a large part. And I still haven't found that perfect practice. But, you know, even in the moment or preparing for visits, it's a little different now. You know, I try to give myself more space before the visit, you know, which can be a challenge because time is always an issue, right? Usually, if we're busy. You know, with this, it's so important. It's really important to be able to do that. How do you use that time to prepare yourself? Well, just to kind of, to clear my mind. Well, I do what I normally do. You know, I'll read the last note. I'll check back with Sa'am. I like to try to check back and see all the different channels I've used over the course of the last few visits. But just to try to not think about it too much and try to get into a more quiet space, even if I'm moving around, become more quiet and more present before the patient comes, which I've honestly, I'll tell you, I've never done that like this before in such a conscious way. It's interesting. You know, we often in our profession talk about how our work is a kind of cultivation and that some kind of personal cultivation is a useful adjunct to being able to do the work that we do. Sounds like you found a practice for yourself that that brings you present. It is. It is, and it's going to be a process. You know, it's not, I am totally not there yet, but I can see, I can see that happening. I can see it unfolding. Mm-hmm. Yep. One of the things I really appreciate about the system is the very quick feedback that you can get. And Toby talks about looking at complexion, which is, is a great thing to pay attention to. Uh, and that, that's the way that his teacher taught him. I have found in my own practice that the pulse often will change dramatically with the treatment and the tongue will often change dramatically with the treatment as well. Um, I suspect there's all kinds of different markers. I mean, whatever, it's like however you pay attention to a patient and pick up whatever cues and signals that you do from them to see how your treatment's going. The Sa'am will give you pretty quick feedback so we don't have to guess and we don't have to theorize and wait till next week and hope that our theory was right. Uh, if we bring that presence that you're talking about, we can watch it unfold in the moment if, if, we're, if we're on it. What I find is I will frequently leave the room thinking I've got it right. I know what I'm doing. They seem to be settling. I'm seeing things. 
in the moment that look like it's going in a positive direction. I step into the other room, I start writing up some notes and I realize that I've missed something or I was thinking about it backwards. And, uh, and in that note writing, which I do as the patient is on the table, I need to do it when it's fresh or I will miss it. I will often catch something that I missed. And sometimes I'll have to go back in the room and change something. So that's, that's part of my process in attending. I, I think we all probably have our ways of, of looking and seeing how's this going? Uh, does it need to be different? Charles, what do you use? I use, in terms of checking if the, the treatment is going well, I do use complexion a lot. Uh, I ask a lot of questions, so or at least a couple repeated questions of, you know, now take a few breaths, check in with your whole body, and see, do you feel like you can settle and relax, or is anything else coming up that we need to check in with and address? I was curious, Michael, you talked about the pulse. Do you take the pulse right after putting in needles, and do you put a lot of weight on that? So I'm, I'm really funny with the pulse. I'm not great with the pulse, and yet I often rely on the pulse. I, when I say I'm not great with the pulse, I frequently don't understand what I'm feeling. That being said, I'll often feel something and I'll go, oh, there's something here. Something's off. Oh, it's weak here or it's buzzy over here or inflated here and deflated there. And so I'll use the pulse in a very simplistic way. Is it somehow different and more settled? That's the question I ask myself. Hmm. Is it somehow okay. more coherent? In, in the first few minutes in the first, or after the In the first the few minutes. Oh, okay. Going back to how Sa'am can tie so many different aspects of this medicine together for me, this is the first system and first style of acupuncture I've used where I can really repeatedly feel the pulse at the end of the treatment and say, oh, we were trying to really boost your lung system and suddenly the lung pulse is feeling a lot stronger or the kidney pulse or whatever I'm looking at. And that to me, as a you know still somewhat new practitioner of seven years, is so valuable just to sort of check my work and build confidence and um, be able to belay that confidence onto my patients. That is brilliant. And, and I, it's funny, I hadn't thought about it in that way. Oh, I'm working on the lung. I should feel the lung pulse change. But I hear you say it and I'm thinking, oh, that's right. If that's what we're doing, we probably should find a reflection in the pulse. So thank you for that. I will look for it this afternoon. Sharon, what about you? As far as signs that I use or? Yeah. It's like, how are you tracking with your patient to see if the treatment is on or if it needs some kind of adjustment? Um, I use complexion. I also really rely very heavily on how much they settle on the table you know, sometimes I'll just crack the door a little bit and just look in because to Toby's point, a lot of times people don't report accurately because people want to please us. Mm -hmm. So I'll just spy on people a little bit and see, are they really kind of knocked out and settled or are they a little fidgety? And if they're fidgety, I can come back in the room and see, you know, did I miss something or just talk to them a little bit. And sometimes they'll report, oh, I'm not as settled as the last time you worked on me where I just went out and I had no idea where I went. 
And to Charles's point, I also use Pulse as well to check in. I usually check in before I put needles in and see what feels empty, feel what feels too full, just real basic stuff. And then come back in after needles have been in for a while and see if those positions that were too full have evened out, if the positions that were really vacuous have filled in and just look for an overall evenness everywhere. Yeah. And, and you find that's a helpful guide for you. For me, yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to your patients, because I, I agree, patients often want us to feel good about what we're doing. Do you have some way of asking them how they're doing without leading them to an answer? Yeah. Basically, what I do is I just keep asking for more information, and sometimes I'll pointedly ask. I try not to leave things open where you just get you know, wrote answers like, yeah, this is great, because that's not really information. <laughs> if I come in, I'll ask them, are you more relaxed? I'm a little bit relaxed, or I'm not relaxed yet. And then I'll ask them if it's something about the table, if it's their temperature, if it's this or if it's that. And then, you know, sometimes that will just lead into, you know, I've had a really stressful day and I was really stressed out when I got here. And so it just gives me more information if somebody maybe just needs a little bit more time to drop in or if I just got it wrong so that I could write a situation. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. Yeah, this is the great thing about the system. We can so often find out what's happening in real time. Yeah, and it's just you know, just to keep talking to somebody, not about a story, but just in the moment, what is it that you're feeling? Are you more agitated right now? Has it been since I put the needles in? Because I'm just not, you know, you don't have to please me. I'm here to do a good job. And if I didn't get it right, help me get it right for you. Yeah. I find that I, uh, because I, it's so easy to lead patients I find I try to give them an alternative of two positive things. It's like, 
Are you feeling calm and settled or are you more energetic and alert? Both those could be seen as positive and, uh, and see what they say. It's so tricky, you know, it's, it's like we have, to, we have to ping our patients in a way that lets us get information without tainting the information that we're getting. So Charles, you were talking earlier about the, the five phases in the, in the six chi and how all that kind of hangs together differently with, with the Sa'am method. I'm wondering, and, and this is a question for all of you, any one of you, you know, feel free to jump in here. I'm wondering how your understanding of Chinese medicine in general has been affected by using the Sa'am system within your practice. One thing that's very much shifted for me is I've come very far out of a point-based acupuncture mindset of, you know, this point has this flavor or this effect or is good for X problem or whatever have you, to really thinking much more, because we're focused so much on single meridians, focused much more on the flavor of each meridian and the kind of flavor of each organ system. So going back to what we were mentioning earlier about um, the gallbladder and the gallbladder and the pericardium being kind of a balance between them, definitely, of course, if you know, I have flirted with boosting the gallbladder for a few patients and had some very interesting results. But even I find for myself, working with the pericardium, if someone has a lot of that gallbladder energy, very, you know, that wind coming outwards, very vigorous, very decisive, sometimes very irritable, even trying to cool it off with that cool, inward-looking pericardium, sometimes the gallbladder doesn't want to let go. And so a few times I've cautioned patients as they're you know settling into the table, if we're using the pericardium, if you don't settle quite as much or you settle differently or you settle really well and you might feel a little twitchy or uh, your energy might kind of settle and then come out and settle and come out, I've seen that enough to warn patients that that's okay. And if they're not so focused on the, the irritation of it or the strangeness of it, I feel they can settle even deeper, at least from what I've seen. So I really appreciate an increasing understanding of kind of the flavor of each dynamic, both in its balance and in the, the yeah. meridians in, singular, um, in the singular. And it's kind of something that just more and more I can feel and look deeper into and deepen my own practice and not by any means tell uh, a patient on the table what they should feel, but kind of guide them with a little bit more clarity than I might otherwise. It is interesting how each of the organs or channels, however you prefer to think about it, I, I like your term, it has its own flavor, it has its own character. I often think in terms of like an archetype, like each of the channels has an archetypical, or you could even say stereotypical in some ways, way of being and how it is. And, and it's often a caricature of that organ. Of course, people in real life are not caricatures usually. But it, at least for me, it's helpful to have this kind of like archetypical sense. Oh, yeah, the gallbladder, it's, you know, it, it, it's outward and it's aggressive and it's in your face and it's happy to be in your face. It's actually really happy to be in your face. It has no trouble causing trouble. That That's a gallbladder energy. Well, I've been playing around with something lately, and I guess mm. I'll preface this by saying that it's just 
my own kind of construct from other constructs I've learned. So I don't mean to insult if this really doesn't work for some, but for me, it's been a really helpful framing. I've been thinking a lot about the poles in Psalm as trinities and the idea that in our first trinity, we have the lung, the large intestine, the stomach, and the spleen. Mm -hmm. And in Psalm, the way that I've kind of taken the information in, and this is only me, so if I'm getting it wrong, it's only on me, um, that a lot of the characterizations or the archetypes or the stereotypes that you're talking about seem to be very morphologically based. They're very much about the physicality in that trinity, how we appear and meet the world in a physical level. Like uh, the spleen archetype is super damp or the large intestine, you know, has a certain physicality to it. Um, And then I've been thinking about the second trinity, which would be the heart, small intestine, bladder, and kidney. And it seems that that trinity, to me, talks about how we meet the world on a very emotional level. Because it expresses either in that kind of heart place where we have this outward love that just kind of shines through. It's, you know, an emotional piece. Or the other end of that pole, which is the bladder, which has a more cold type of affect to it. And then, you know, the kidney. How do we either, you know, self-love or can we not consolidate for self? And it has a very emotional component in that trinity. And then thinking about the third trinity, which would be the pericardium, triple heater, gallbladder, and liver, those speak to me more as like on a jing level, our individuation, our temperament. Um, The gallbladder, it has a more outward and formidable presence as opposed to the other pole, which is our pericardium, which is more quiet and wise, or our liver, which is inward and unaware, and the sanjao, which has a keen awareness of the surroundings. And I've just been playing with these ideas, and some of it has also modulated how I treat, too, because When I think about things like this, our temperament, can we really change temperament? We can modulate it and make it less erratic, but we are who we are as well. I have a story for you about that, changing temperament. I want to, and I'll share it with you in a second, but first what I want to say is looking at that trinity, for me, that rings true. And it rings true in that and this is one of the things I love about some acupuncture is that it, it very much blends the five and the six. When we look at the Zul clock, the Chinese clock, we see that Trinity. And so it, it makes sense to me that we can bring that in and it too will be informative the way that you have just described it and laid it out. Again, I know this isn't something that that has come to us, you know, through Toby or through the tradition as he teaches it. This is something that comes because we are engaged in this work and we are engaged in this way of working. And one of the things I love about this method is 
the system will teach you what it's about. Sharon, I love what you said about the you know, the Trinity. I think of it as the three circuits of chi through the body. Yeah, and I've just I've sat with it for a while now. I, I originally learned these ideas. I don't know, maybe about 15 years ago from Jeffrey Yuen about trinities. But when I think about the Psalm poles, it totally like I could totally overlay it onto this. And it just made things a lot clearer mm-hmm. about what level we're mm-hmm. engaging in in the world. And I don't know, it just helped clarify a lot for me. Yeah, absolutely. And it, the only um, the thing it made me think about that I've been kind of mulling over is adding on the the very physical manifestation of each aspect, not just with our emotions or our engagement of the world, but um, how that manifests physically in our body. So going back to the, the wild gallbladder, I sometimes think of it too as not just being decisive or being even irritable when it's out of balance, but we can use it very cautiously and appropriately to kind of open Absolutely. our vents. Um, and I was uh, treating someone who's extremely pericardium excess, um, which is interesting because she has a lot of strong presence and feeling, but there's something about her that wants to just intellectualize it all and not kind of let it out on that outward emotional aspect. Oh, well, I think it's like being female, you know, you're supposed to sublimate. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you know, it's... It- it's interesting, but it's, it's, I don't know who said this, but one of you uh, guys, but we have all of this in us. You know, it's all of us. And uh, we need each of these at certain points in time. And it's not good. It's not bad. It's just when one is more than the other and it can start causing a problem. I try to think of it that way when I'm in front of somebody, like Toby was saying, well, what do they need? You know, do they need more cold water thrown on them or do they need more of that loving fire? We need all of it, but it's balance. It's balance. And it, for me right now, it's I'm trying to get the sense of that in, with my patient. You know what I mean? So these little things help you. Like, is it all left-sided? Is it all right-sided? Are they dry inside? Are they damp inside? Or, you know, all of that. And so it kind of helps point you in a direction. But then when you get down to the ones that you say, okay, you know, I might, I, I'm thinking of these. It's like, well, what does it seem like they really need more of right now? And it sounds easy to do that, but it's not. But I find that when I really can focus on that and and if I can really see that, uh, I, I it gets a better result. And you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's a lot of puzzle pieces to put together, but then it's, well, what's the thing that's most out of balance for them right now today? And it's, 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 that's how I'm finding this works. It's like today, you know, what is it today? Well, there you are back to the presence that you were talking about earlier, that you take some time to prepare. You can be kind of empty so that you can greet your patient as they are in this moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that that's the challenge, I think. But that's, to me right now, it seems like it's the, for, for me, where I'm at with some, it's like, that's for me, the most important thing for me to get. And it's, it's not easy, but. Yeah. 
I think we also had this um, in the last level three SOM class. Toby was talking about a case and somebody who was an athlete or something and giving them more. And I remember raising the question and we, a lot of people were really split on it. If somebody, because we come from a culture where everybody wants more all the time, because more is always better, right? And the idea of, as a practitioner, is it responsible to always just give somebody what they want? Ultimately, can that do harm? And the idea of, um, I guess, Toby raised, you know, not withholding on patients, which is a valid point, but sometimes when do our wishes and desires really not align with what it is in our best interest towards long-term mm. health. What if the thing that a patient most wants is the thing that actually is the source of their problem? Exactly. But it might not be, it might be framing it this way. Instead of what does the patient most want, it's like what does their system most need? Because, yeah, I mean, we all have a way of expressing what we what we want. But when you pull all those puzzle pieces together, the the body type and the, you know, their emotionality, which that's another thing that's really hard to get at is what is someone's emotional landscape like? It's like, what, what do they need at this moment in time? What's the most out of balance thing related to their chief concern? which could be hot flashes, it could be headache, it could be anxiety, it could be constipation. You know, I, I do always like to honor their chief complaint. You know, that's the thing that they most want to get corrected. But it's like finding the out-of-balance thing that could actually help with that at this point in time with everything else about that person. And I... I I think some pulls that together. I, I've never thought of it that way, ever. Acupuncture, even practicing, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner as well. I mean, it, that it doesn't even, that doesn't even happen with that. It's like this psalm is an opportunity to really try to help them with that chief concern that they have in a way that other things might fall into place too, if you get it right. Their emotionality. I had a guy last week for the first time, his complaint was low back pain and he had sciatica uh, both let you know down both both of the legs but this guy had been married three times and one of the things he said to me which was great it's golden when they say something like this to you he said yeah maybe maybe the reason why I've been married three times is because my because of my anger you know and um, he had a very gray cold complexion I ended up giving him giving him heart and the biggest clue was where his problem was but when he came back this past week his leg pain was gone completely gone his back pain was reduced by about 50% but he said he said you know my wife commented to me i guess they they go horseback riding with a group of friends um, periodically and, and they had gone out this past weekend there's a couple that in the group that he has a hard time getting along with and he said, you know, my wife told me that I, I, uh, she complimented me for how I handled myself in the group with these, this particular couple that really rubs in the wrong way. And I thought, wow, you know, that got his back, but it also helped him in whatever way he needed that help with maybe connecting with other people. I don't know. I wouldn't have even thought of it at that moment in time. 
Well, I think the system can give us a perspective. It can give us a place to stand where we can weave some very seemingly disparate elements together. And so something like you just talked about where, oh, maybe he's got an issue with anger. Oh, but he's also like cold and gray. Maybe we just need to warm him up with some love. And that will change how the urinary bladder channel is working because it's got some more yang warmth in it. Now his sciatica and his back pain are better. Oh, and he's more pleasant to be around because his heart is a bit more open. Yeah, but you know, I could have gone down the wrong road about the anger, and I almost did. It was it was interesting. You think of gallbladder, you know, with that anger thing. And um, I just tried to stay focused on what his chief concern was that moment in time and then tried to decide, you know, between the cold water and the and the heat and, and whatever, I would never, I didn't expect that it was going to help that anger piece. It, you know, it can be, yeah, it can be so complicated. It's like, well, what, where, what's the anger, the root, where is the root of that anger? And, and so in his case, it wasn't, I didn't even really even have to think about it too much. You know what I mean? It was, it was so wonderful to hear him express the difference that his wife noticed and then then he noticed it, you know. But I wouldn't have made that connection at all with deciding what to do for him with some. <laughs> so it's like, you know, getting back to that, what people might need in that moment at that point in time. You're right. It, it's all interconnected. And with some, you you can hit those other other pieces without even needing to dwell on it too much. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm thinking about Sharon's consideration of the Trinity and how some of it's about physicality and some of it's about emotion and some of it is about, I can't remember how you expressed it, the uh, Sanjal. Oh, individuation and temperament. Individuation and temperament. Individuation and temperament. Ah, that's, that just sounds like a juicy thing to explore. And and in amongst the correspondences that we already have that you get in the basics, yes, to bring in something like this trinity of influences and see how do things connect through that perspective. For me, the thing about Sa'am that has been most interesting is I feel like it is weaving, it has, and it has and it is, weaving together otherwise disparate aspects of things that I've studied or practiced or thought about. And it kind of ties them together. It's like it goes through and takes loose threads of thought and practice and shows me connections that I didn't previously see. I agree with that. When I first started practicing, most of the people in the Philadelphia area were trained at the Worsley School down in Maryland. I went to school in New York. And the Worsley teachings were somewhat interesting just because of making those uh, connections and rapport and to be an observer. The points and stuff like that weren't as interesting to me. I studied the stuff for a while just to become a better observer and just to learn about what I was seeing. But some kind of hit all the checkboxes 
with taking those observational skills and moving it into a system of treatment that encapsulated a lot more rather than just working in those archetypes in a more psycho-spiritual level because you can solve pain problems with it as well. You can, you know, it's just the breath and reach of everything is way more dynamic, but it still brings in that presence piece. It does require of us our presence. And, and I think, Sharon, we've had this conversation. I know I've had it with other people as well, that the five phases, as it's seen through the Worsley School and how those have their own flavor and character, is quite different than how the Sa'am method looks at the five phases. They, they, don't, they don't quite match up in the same way. And so if you've got a Worsleyan idea of this is what a phase means or this is what an organ means, it won't really help you so much with the Sa'am system. I agree. Where I was going with the comparison was just, I think when you're trained, or at least the way that I was trained, you know, in more of a TCM style, you know, things are a little bit more formulatic. You create big databases in your head, or that's what school tries to impart upon you. You create large databases and filters so that your your, your brain is going 01011111100 to get the output answer for the points that you put in. What I found appealing about the Worsley system was just where it pushed you to be more of a participant in the treatment room, to be a keener observer. I, you know, the correspondences are way different and that part doesn't have resonance for me. But the idea, the difference in learning is more of a, a human computer to come out with a treatment plan as opposed to really observing and being a really keen instrument in that way is appealing. And then to overlay the psalm piece on top of that is very powerful. Well, it's wonderful to be invited into a deeper sense of presence. And I'd just like to add, going back to what Jerry was saying, there is so much that I'm learning with unintended consequences, both good and bad. And, you know, having that presence during the treatment, but then when we reconvene at a later date, learning all the changes that happened, and many of which, you know, often I did not foresee. Do you have an example? Do I have an example? Um, I guess an easy one because it's so volatile. Going back to the gallbladder, I talk about it as opening vents, and I was thinking about it for this patient as very much heat and emotion primarily. She had a lot of things going on, a lot of heartbreak recently, but was keeping it all in. And we had talked about, um, you know, this could make you very irritable. You might want a lot of space after this session. And that seemed to very much ring true. But uh, going back to the emotions and the physicality aspect, we had done this, we have boosted the gallbladder a couple times at very different times with her. And I think both times she got a very early period, like not maybe a week afterwards when she would expect it three weeks later. And again, it goes back to that idea for me and how I'm summarizing it in my mind of opening the vents that you can clear in a lot of different ways and kind of information that I can bring back. And again, um, 
get more information and kind of deeper in my understanding about the flavor of each channel through this system. It really does teach you, you know, and, and one of the other things that we all learned in, in the very beginning, and, and it's still a, a mainstay for me is to keep the treatments as simple as possible. That's so hard. <laughs> it, it, it can be a challenge. Yeah. yeah, it can definitely be a challenge. Often it's enough, not always, but often, but especially in the beginning, especially when learning, if you can keep it to, I'm just doing this one channel, you'll get clear feedback. Was I, was I on? Was I off? In what ways was it on? In what ways was it off? And so it becomes much easier to course correct, and it's easier for the system to teach you how it works. I also found for myself, if I'm unclear in my diagnosis, well, I'll do some in this channel and some in that channel. I get back a result from that treatment. I'm still unclear because I wasn't clear in the beginning what I thought I was looking at. And the more clear I can be, I think the more I'm able to learn from the experience. Plus, if something goes well, I should be able to prognosticate, yeah, it should go better and it should look like this. And if I'm wrong, it should get worse and it should look like that. And, and I find it a very useful mental exercise to consider how will this look if it goes well and how will it look if it goes wrong. Again, because then I can take the results that the patient brings back and, and I'm kind of primed to look at it. I've already put a little mental energy into it. it. It's my way of trying to gaze a little deeper into the patient and their situation. And, uh, you know, as a way of allowing the treatment itself to tell me where I'm on and where I need to fill out my understanding. Do you guys mind if I ask you a question? Hey, have at it. So we've all been doing this system now for around a couple years, I assume. Still figuring a lot out, but no longer beginners. What is everyone struggling with right now? Like what part of the system or your understanding of it or the application of it is you're up against a wall a little bit? I'll chime in, Charles. Um, it's Jerry. I, uh, I still would love to see Toby apply all the points in person or you know, on a Zoom, <laughs> because sometimes I, um, some of the points seem to be easier for me, you know, to locate exactly right. I know you have to be very accurate with the location of how you're locating the points. I also tend to have a little bit of difficulty. I'm trying to either disperse or tonify as I'm advancing the needle. And I've seen Toby on, what was the one that he did, uh, Michael? Do you remember? It was uh, maybe small intestine five. Was it small intestine five? Anyway, he did do a couple of, of videos and uh, they just go in like butter for him. And I, I don't know if people are having, a we're talking about basic here. This is basic. I mean, I'm doing the best I can, but I still wonder if I'm doing the needles, all of them exactly correctly. And I'd love to be able to uh, see Toby put the needles in, you know, all the points that we're using in this system <laughs> to make sure they're, like he said, stomach 36 has to go through the muscle. So you have to go a little more perpendicular, I believe, is my, was my understanding of that. Does anybody else struggle with that still at this point in time? So just to make sure I understand, Jerry, for you right now, knowing that you've got the point, you're interacting with the point, 
in, in the uh, most effective way possible. And it sounds like you would like to have a kind of fluency with how the needles are just inserted and, and slid into the patient. Yeah, yeah. And some of the actual, am I actually locating this point uh, as best I can for some? Is it as close to the skin as it should be? Am I going in deeply enough, for uh, far enough along the length of the needle? I was in the habit of asking patients as I was stimulating the needle, let me know when you feel something other than the needle. And then I thought, this is tedious. I need to start feeling it myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm trying to rely on my own sense of feeling, whether it's, you know, tension a- around the needle or the needle just doesn't want to advance. Is that because the needle has gone where it needs to go? And yeah, I, I, I've kind of come back to that basic and really want to hone my skills, but there's no way to really do that right now other than to trust what you're doing. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, well. (laughs) Well, and because we use so few needles, each one is so important for the whole integrity of the system. So I, I hear you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. There's a lot of weight on each one of those four needles. That's true. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of chi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. I think for me, it, it, it raises the question of how present am I with the moment, the needle, my patient, myself. Every time I put a needle in somebody, again, it's an opportunity to see what is here. What am I feeling? There's days I'm in a hurry and I think I know what I'm doing and I just kind of slap them in. I mean, I hate to say that in public, but there you go. That's just the truth of it. And there's other days where I'm a little more inquisitive Maybe I'm unsure with that patient, or maybe I'm just having a day where I'm feeling more embodied and present, and so I actually can feel more through the needle. And, and I'll take those days as a opportunity to explore what can be felt through a needle, through a point in this moment. I think we have an opportunity every time we insert a needle to 
investigate, hmm, how is this? Does this feel right? Is it in the right place? And how do I know that that's so? Or how do I know that it's not? I think we get to build up a database, not of ones and zeros, but a, uh, you know, like a collection, a collage of experiences with um, interacting with a particular point. So, Jerry, I, th- I think you're on the right track with what you're doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, you know, and I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but up, up until some, I was using guide needles to put all my needles in. So I wasn't giving myself that opportunity to feel the needle. And with some, because they're a much sturdier needle, <laughs> and I had to kind of work my way up to that, you know, it, it, you can put it in. You put it in yourself without the guidance of a tube. And so you find yourself needing to do that. And I've been practicing acupuncture for seven years now. And with some, this is really the first time I'm, I'm experiencing that. So it's, it's interesting, you know, it's sometimes I'll find that, okay, you know, I'm not quite sure about how this is. And so then I'll, I'll start to say, okay, what's your intent with this needle? And then I'm hoping (laughs) that could be a little ethereal and mystical and who knows, you know, but sometimes I'll do that just because I want to make it not a wasted needle. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I'm thinking, okay, the placement, it's not the greatest. It doesn't feel like, and so I'll say, okay, this is my intent with this needle. Please help me with this. You know what I mean? And I'm hoping that that's helpful too. I don't know, but that's a little mystical. You know what I mean? Well, I, I think intention is a very important thing. I'm curious to know how you've decided that the needles that you're putting in are not spot on and going where they're going. Well, because they seem to want to stop prematurely as I'm advancing them. And and maybe I just need to trust that too, you know? Actually, this is great to have a conversation with other people about this because maybe I just need to trust that. Uh, does anybody else feel that you know you like you'll be putting in gallbladder 41 and it typically goes a long distance and uh, sometimes that feels like okay this is as far as gallbladder 41 wants to go and I I, it's a big needle it's a thick needle I don't want to push it any further sometimes I'll take it out and I'll place it again I mean there are times when it's just this isn't right but that other thing happens on a pretty regular basis with me Everybody's anatomy is a bit of an an anomaly, but, you know, there's times where we just get it wrong and I just have no problem pulling it out and just grounding myself and just starting again. Yeah, I have to really discern when I need to do that, more focus. Yeah, but that's never been an issue with any other kind of acupuncture other than this. Yeah, but most other styles of acupuncture, you have real even needling where you're just going perpendicular to a certain depth. And the depth is usually depending on how bony an area might be. So I think this system, because you're almost threading most of the points, it's just a different dynamic. So you run into that more. Yeah. And watching Toby that on that video, and Michael, is that on geological? I believe that is in one of the classes. So if you took the class, you'd be able to see that video. There's there's some other video coming up in the near future that 
that we'll have up as well. That's going to show some needling. Yeah. So watching that video of Toby doing that, it was like, whoa, you know, it just went slid right in. It's just like you said, Sharon, it was threading it, threading it as part of the fabric of that person's anatomy. And wouldn't it be nice if every needle that you put in could feel like that? I mean, you could look at him do it and you could actually almost feel what he was feeling. And that happens sometimes, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so I just wonder how much that affects the treatment, I guess. Getting back to, you know, Charles, it's four needles. It's not that much, you know. Yes, but it's also four very potent points when used in combination. Right. So it's important to get them spot on. I, I, I agree. And, and it sounds like you have a sense of when you've got it. And you have a sense of when you don't. So just keep working with it. You've got, I mean, if you can feel when it's spot on and when you can feel if it's not quite there, it's just a matter of fine tuning it. I mean, Toby's been at it for how long? Long time. Well, and also it speaks to that, Jerry, you are bringing that attentiveness and presence and, you know, really checking in with each needle and not just, you know, like they say, putting in the needles and leaving the patient and saying that is acupuncture. The other piece of it, too, is that you're connected enough that you're gathering information even while you're needling. Because sometimes when with what you're describing, when you notice that it's just harder, when it's just not sliding in, does that maybe correlate with some of your findings that there's dryness in the body or maybe not enough blood in the body? So rather than looking at it as a personal failing or fault, maybe it just layers in more information to corroborate your diagnosis. Mm. Yeah, and that would be an interesting thing to ask Toby because maybe, you know how they say that she is, yeah, you have a point. Some points are have a wider area than others, but the chi, the direction of it can change, you know, even day by day, moment by moment. So as you just said that just now, it brought me back to that, what we learned in TCM about the points. And maybe some of that's what we're feeling with the SOM needling, because like Charles said, we're so intent on each needle. I wonder, maybe. So maybe. Well, yeah, Sharon, I hear you say that. Maybe what we're feeling with the needle is also giving us information about what the system is. Maybe the system is so dry. We're feeling dryness in the tissue. Maybe there's some blood deficiency. Um, and so there's some yin deficiency. And again, there's that dryness. Perhaps what we're feeling with the needle is part of the diagnostic. Maybe if we see a patient and they're very, very dry, we would expect those needles to maybe not slide in so easily. Likewise, if they're very wet, and we run into tissue that seems like that's dry, well, that's clearly not correct then. It's something worth exploring. Again, this is why I so appreciate this system because it will have us asking questions that help us to understand it better. And what about you, Sharon, as one of the senior practitioners in the room? Is there anything that you've been struggling with or um, really mulling over that's been helpful in deepening your practice lately? I think one of the biggest things I always encounter that I mull quite often, because I think in classes, a lot of times, you know, we're presented with cases 
by teachers that have that kind of um, Chinese medicine type of case study where they were treated twice, you know, with three packages of herbs or two acupuncture sessions and, you know, the birds sang and the skies parted and they were forever better. And I think as practitioners, a lot of us work with people who have had chronic, long-standing, a lot of times for decades, problems. And while we always strive for that total like knockout when you put the needles in and somebody just passes out and you know you got it right and it, it's like, yes, in these slower illnesses that just have gone on for so long, that slow and steady thing. And what does that trajectory look like? And when are you not getting it right? And how long does it take? And it's just those pieces because those aren't as remarkable, but you're still doing the work. And the pieces layer and layer and layer. You know, that's Sharon. You know, it's interesting, but in this country, I find that my patients, they don't think of coming for acupuncture when something, not a lot of them, some of them do. And and the more you get to know a patient, then they'll start to do that. But a lot of people wait, they wait and wait, and they'll wait and use it as the last resort. And, you know, those wonderful fat stories that we hear about in school where a person responds so well and they're cured forever. It, from China, you know, outside of China, they use acupuncture all the time and probably use it as the first thing they go to, you know, when they have something. Maybe, 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 maybe not. It, it well, at least but, my, ex- but, my experience over there is some people do, but a lot don't. Well, maybe now, but my experience is that when somebody comes and they come early into something, it's so much easier to treat them than when they when they wait and they have these layers upon layers upon layers, like you're saying, and chronic stuff going on. It's like you're chasing it, you're chasing it. But when they come and it's it's relatively new, it's you definitely, especially with some, I'm noticing you can get some really quick, good results. But you wonder, you know, I just wonder some of those cases that we hear about from out of China, they're older back in time, some of them, right? The ones that, you know, especially I think about the cases that Sharon shares with us in the herbal program. I'm sure some of those folks went early into something. I, I don't know. I just, that kind of comes into my mind just based on the little of experience I've seen so far between the acute and the chronic with some. I, I think, and this is maybe something in our education, we usually hear about the stories where it worked well. We often hear about the stories where it went off the rails and then they brought it back and the birds sang. How often do we hear about the cases where that didn't work and I never got it to work or I made the patient worse or they, the patient just went away after a few treatments, never getting better? Or that the change is so incremental that you question if you're practicing correctly for the presentation. It's, the, it's those spaces that I find difficult. Sometimes we need to keep very good notes. And the reason is, as people get better, they fail to notice how they're better. So they say, how are you doing? Eh, you know, pretty good. I'm, you know, I, about the same as last week, maybe a little better. Where they'll just say, oh, I'm better. I think it's important for us to ask, how are you better? Where are you better? How do you know you're better? And then if we're taking good notes, 
and they fail to mention how they've been waking up five times a night. We ask them, oh, you're still waking up five times a night. And they might be going, no, I wake up once. Then I fall asleep. Often people will fail to report places where they've improved. Even the thing that was the main complaint, they will often fail to report because as they feel better, it just leaves their consciousness. Mm -hmm. It's just not there in their mind. And so if we're not careful in collecting good data on them and then checking up, we can get, I know for myself, I've been drawn along a path of, oh, it's not really helping and it's not really working. When in fact, there are things, small changes that are happening and we need to know about it and we need our patients to voice it so they can recognize that, oh, that is different. I hadn't noticed. Yeah, that's that's really true, Michael. And like you said, taking good notes, I will, after a few visits, I'll go back to that first note. And uh, I try to re, you know do this with all the patients that I have been seeing for a f- few visits at a time. And you're right, that these little things that gather in the interview have changed and they haven't even noticed. And if you didn't go back and ask, it wouldn't be recognized. And that's important for them and it's important for me as the practitioner because I, I need to see that something's working. And I think they need to see it too. It helps if they do. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think when something gets better and it just leaves their consciousness and they to the point where they forget that they had it, even though it was the main complaint, when that happens, I consider that to be a, um, I'm going to say, a profound level of healing. And it's a profound level of healing, again, because it's not even in their consciousness. They don't even have a memory of it. It's just not in their day-to-day experience. And, and I consider that a good thing. It used to make me crazy in the beginning when people came in with a main complaint that would disappear and they wouldn't tell me about it. I had to dig it out of them. It made me crazy. And then I came, at least in, in my sense of it, things have changed in such a way that they're just getting on with their life. It's not even there. You know, Toby has a thing that I, I, I don't remember if he's asked this in class or not. I know he asked me at one time, really took me to task on it. He says, do you know what perfect health feels like? Do you guys know what perfect health feels like? Yeah. Sit, being six years old again. <laughs> perfect health feels like nothing at all. Yeah. We're just getting on with our lives. Hey, Charles. Yes. As the question asker, how does this question pertain to you? Oh, well, I was the asker. I was hoping it wouldn't be turned <laughs> around the problem on me. when you have four um, people. <laughs> I know, right? So I think where I am with it is trying to figure out... So. There's always one or two organs or systems or channels, however you want to think about it, that I feel like I understand the dynamic and the balance a little bit less, or I feel like I understand them and in application, I, I obviously don't. So for me, broadly speaking, it's trying to understand with these archetypes, when is someone desiring some a patient desiring something or doing something or what have you, that is their medicine. They need that thing. They need that cool lighting in the evening for that liver energy, or they need to read to really kind of bring in that pericardium energy to calm down that gallbladder, 
or when is it their excess that they're just manifesting over and over? And sometimes it's very obvious, but a lot of times I kind of wonder, you know, especially with a lot of the smaller nuances, is this your health and your medicine or is this your excess and a pattern you're stuck in and your archetype that is out of bounds? And so I kind of struggle with that that balance and trying to figure that out in any specific case. Yeah, and boy, that's the art and the struggle of some, <laughs> right there in a nutshell, right? Well, of medicine in general. Yes. I find when I lose the scent of what I'm working on, when I think I'm on, on, on track, but I, I realize I'm not because something has gone sideways, uh, I come back to something very similar, Charles. Is this the thing they're missing or is this the thing they have so much of that it's a problem? I will come back and just ask myself the question, am I looking at excess or am I looking at deficiency? It's a very simple first week of acupuncture school rubric. Am I looking at excess or am I looking at deficiency? It sounds easy and often it is, but sometimes it's very difficult to to untangle that. And uh, yeah, I would say that's the piece that I'm also working on. I agree with that as well, because a lot of times the way that I frame it is, is it pathology or is it somebody's nature? Because I, in my belief system, not everything is pathological. And people do have a nature to them. So earlier, Sharon, you were when you were talking about the, the, the trigram, so to speak, I had a real failure in working with a patient. And, and it's exactly what you were talking about. Is, is it their nature or is it like the problem that they're having? This is a person who is a triple burner excess. And she kind of takes pride in all her triple burner excess. It, it's who she is. She wouldn't recognize who she is without her triple burner excess. I am, I am often doing... Uh, liver or pericardium or, you know, bouncing between something else that helps to allow her to live with her triple burner excess. One day I thought, you know what? I'm really going to help her out here and I'm going to drain her triple burner because she's so excess with it. I'm going to drain it and that will help balance her. So she comes back the next time I see her and she kind of looks me dead in the eye and she goes, Whatever you did to me last time, don't you ever do that again. I didn't sleep. I've been anxious. I got this. I got that. Blah, 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 blah. Because I took away something of the essence of who she is. Does she struggle with who she is? Yes, she does. Does she come to me for some help with finding some balance with who she is? Yes, she does. It was a big mistake for me to take away who at her core, she was. That's a great story because I think that's part of this system that's a real internal wrestling piece, you know, that I wrestle with often. What is a measure of an excess or a pathology versus nature? Because we all have nature and we can all be honed to some extent. But to your point, at what point are we inserting too much of our own personal bias that you are, quote unquote, too much of this? 
where is our uncomfortability with the situation or what that person is displaying? You know, I wonder if that's one of the tenets of some, because I've heard Toby say he'll go back and periodically do something that works really well for a person, you know, time and again. And uh, so is that one of the tenets of some? And I am, I'm asking a question because I just don't know that, yeah, we all have these different qualities in us, but we do tend to all of us, you know, have an overabundance of one over the other or two over the other, you know? And I mean, is, is that something that we can expect to be a tenant of some? I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a question you'd probably have to ask Toby, but I can tell you from, and this is just my experience of working with patients over the years, people often will come in and they'll complain about something about themselves. And, and as I listen to them, I think to myself, this is not something that's wrong with you. This is something that's your superpower. It's something that's right about you. But it's so tricky because there again, you know, you're wanting them to accept themselves and there you're, you're interjecting that. Sometimes I want... Well, I I don't know. I I don't think it's my job to ask people to accept themselves. That's, that's, that's actually not my ballywhack. I'm not asking people to accept themselves. What is my job is to offer them another perspective on their suffering. And sometimes, sometimes they'll just go, no, Michael Max, you're dead wrong. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. And sometimes they'll, they'll pause and they'll take it in. They'll consider it. And, and, and then maybe we're on to something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, when somebody comes in and they're lamenting something about themselves, I, I really trust that they are asking, you know, if that's what they're coming and asking for help with, I, I really trust that that's what they're asking for help with. And, and just like your patient who is so Sanjiao excess, to have that much of an excess, it has to be uncomfortable in areas of your life for all of us, any of us. So I don't know. I mean, I, I tend to trust what they're telling me and go with that. And then, of course, if it's dreadfully wrong, then it can sometimes do that flip-flop, you know, like looking at that picture and some people see that it looks like a woman whose profile, a witch whose profile and the other, it's the same exact picture. And some mm-hmm. people see it as this. It's the same ball of wax. It's the same vessel. It has both of it. And, and so... Maybe that person that looks to me like they're all liver excess, maybe they're really Sanjiao excess and their their body's pulling on their liver so much to try to keep that Sanjiao in balance. So it's like, I almost like, I, it's so confusing that I just sometimes feel like I got to trust what they're saying, got to go with what they're saying, and then we'll see what happens. And then it will tell, and then it tells you. Well, and- it's a medicine where we put all our chips in too. So you want to be sure, but you can't always be and sure. And again, this is this is where I find it to be so helpful because if we're wrong, we will get clear feedback. Oh, you were wrong about that. Oh, okay. Sharon, what you had to say about, you know, is it their nature or identity? Is that the word that you used? 
Yeah. I mean, because we all have our temperament. Yes. And we express differently and we all suffer. And that's, you know, I tell patients a lot. Sometimes that's why I think we live longer than a fruit fly to just work this stuff out because it's not easy. All right. Well, this has been, I think, a fruitful conversation. I thank all of you so much for being here. Um, I would like to wind it down, for, at least for the day, and uh, and it's just as a way of exiting to uh, share with the listeners, some of whom may be using Sa'am, some who may not have ever used it. One small thing that we've learned that's just helped us in life in general, not just in the clinic, but maybe life in general, by being exposed to this method of working. I think one of the nice things is meeting new people who are just as excited by the system. I think that's been a great plus. Um, for, for me, it's, it's, hey, there really is something to this acupuncture stuff <laughs> because <laughs> I'm serious. All seven years until, until some, honestly, it's I'm really becoming a believer. I was a believer before I went to school. When I got out, after I started practicing, it was really dwindling. And when Sam came along, I am full on, ready to start day one. You know what I mean? Back two years ago, I'm, I'm, it's like starting all over again, in, in a sense. And I'm right with you, Jerry, just that it really makes me trust the medicine and understand that, you know, there's not a thing we can point to that is a thing that is real. And at the same time, functionally, it's all real and it helps me relax and just trust in the practice. And for me, it has been a journey of taking the theories of Chinese medicine that I, that I love. They're kind of poetic and, 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 and I like the philosophy. And so I can take the theories of Chinese medicine, you know, the very basics, yin yang, five phases, six chi. And not just to have them as a construct in my mind, I watch them unfold in life right before me. I sometimes get a glimpse of it in that way. And uh, for that, I'm grateful for this study and the medicine. So I thank all of you for being here today. This has been a, a delightful conversation. I appreciate all of you and, and the contributions that you made in the classes and because, you know, we're learning a tremendous amount from Toby. He's been very generous in sharing the tradition and it's wonderful as well to have a group of practitioners where we all in essence get to teach each other and learn from each other uh, because of what we're seeing and uh, having the generosity to share it. So thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Michael. Thank you three. It's been a great joy and honor. Unless it's the first time you've listened to the podcast, you'll know that I've been exploring this on method myself for the past three plus years. It's been fun. And it's been fun because I've not only seen some good clinical results, but it also has helped me to better understand the foundations of our medicine. And that makes me hopeful because I think there's a lot that acupuncture can do, but we have to understand it from the root. And this method is helping me to do that.
I appreciate our guests today sharing their experience and their perspectives. I find it heartening to hear about how other practitioners learn the intricacies of medicine by staying open and teachable in the moment as a treatment unfolds. And then take that experience and distill out the essence of the lesson. We have plenty of resources for learning Sa'am over on the website, so if this is a method that holds some interest for you, please do visit us over here on geological.com and indulge your interest. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community. Mm-hmm.